Welcome to Mission Unplugged, genuine conversations about Christian faith in action with young innovators locally, nationally, and globally. I'm Elise. And I'm Mitch. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Mission Unplugged, where we're sitting down with Scott McGeehan for a really great conversation. Scott and his wife Luella, with their large tribe of children, are currently based in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Scott works as the Enterprise Manager at Urban Life, a missional faith community where he coordinates business ventures and investments with a focus on God's kingdom of justice. From fronting hardcore bands, moustache twirling, and running a fair trade clothing company, Scott has enjoyed numerous hobbies, approaching them all with the same kingdom focus of justice, fairness, and love. As a family, the McGeans are passionate about embedding in their community and seeing other people flourish. This conversation with Scott was really great. We talked a lot about money and business and investing, which are not things that I personally spend a lot of time thinking or talking about, or when I do, I probably tend to think of them as uh, as bad things or as things that are separate or opposed to the kingdom of God. But Scott really challenged me to see them as opportunities to reframe the ways that we do things, the ways we think about things with God's ethic of justice and fairness at the center. I also really love how Scott always is passionate about embedding in his neighborhood and his whole family and his work are all centered around being present in the community and being invested there. And that's a really amazing expression of God's kingdom. So I hope you find something in this conversation that's really challenging and encouraging. Let's jump in. But I think we actually see a system of, of shared provisions and uh, this idea that our, you know, like the Jeremiah passage, that our well-being is tied up with one another's, our welfare is tied up with one another's. And so when we talk about wealth, when we talk about business, when we're talking about ideas, that, that we actually, it, it's about... Um, the spread of that, the share of that, people actually getting um, what should be theirs. It's not about, it's, it's not the traditional business model where somebody at the end of the line kind of has to lose out to, for us to make you know, the maximum profit, but it's actually trying to find ways to offer something of value in a way that um, actually respects the processes to get there. Hey Scott, welcome to Mission Unplugged. It's awesome to have you on the podcast. Stoked to be here. Thanks, Mitch. For our listeners, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, what's been happening from you know birth till now? Birth till now, well, a fair bit of ground to cover. Uh, at thirty-five, I'm probably a, a fair bit older than uh, a few of the listeners, and uh, <laughs> there's be a lot of time to to cover all of that. But um, I am a uh, father of five, uh, married to uh, Luella, and we have five children. Uh, our eldest is 10, so you can imagine it's a fair bit of uh, crazy, noisy sort of environment, and uh, hopefully we won't hear any of that in the background today. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we like to say that we live in, in beautiful chaos of uh, the joy of a large family and uh, and all that sort of energy. I currently work uh, for a local church called Urban Life, as their enterprise manager, uh, managing their business affairs, business side of things, the facility, uh, as well as uh, launching some social enterprises. Uh, we 
do some investing and different things like that as well that I help uh, oversee and we'll dig into that a little bit. And yeah, I think deep down I'm a hardcore muso kid, um, played in a lot of bands throughout my life and um, yeah, I've just sort of, I don't know, that's all kind of jungle, jumbled together to, to make me who I am today. So. Yeah, a bit of beautiful, the beautiful chaos of uh, a life well lived, hey? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's well lived. Sometimes it feels like a little bit of aimless wandering, but then it all comes together and uh, you think, oh, maybe maybe God does know what he's doing in directing me. So, so Mission Unplugged, obviously we've, uh, you know, we love chatting mission, we love chatting uh, justice and all that good stuff. Um, what do you consider to be your first experience of mission? Yeah, so I... Um, I grew up in a, in a non-Christian household um, and actually my first experience of, of church was um, when I lived in Alice Springs for a little while. Uh, in primary school, we went to a Catholic school and so I thought I knew kind of what faith was because I'd been to uh, a Catholic school in Alice Springs and, and considered it quite boring. <laughs> uh, and so I, I sort of resisted church and a lot of that until just before I turned 18. Uh, but I do jump into things pretty hard. So I kind of went from just before I turned 18, um, becoming a Christian to being on a missions trip in Vanuatu within about six months. Um, and so, yeah, just one of the, one of the local churches, um, uh, we're, we're organizing this trip to Vanuatu. Uh, and I felt impressed upon me that, that it was a great sort of thing. And so I gave significantly to help some of the other youth get along there. And then I think it was kind of like the week before cutoff. I was thankfully working a, a factory job, making some pretty good money in my gap year uh, that I could just kind of turn around and go, oh, actually, maybe I'm meant to be on that trip. And uh, yeah, so we did a couple of weeks in, in Vanuatu, which was incredibly uh, shaping for me in the sense of actually getting to live with Christians and actually being like seeing how people respond to headaches when you actually live <laughs> with each other, seeing how people um, live as community. Um, and so it was actually, you know, as we, uh, spoke leading into our conversation today, it was, it was reflecting on some of that, that actually made me remember, um, it was that trip to Vanuatu where I decided that I would do a business degree, uh, when I got back and finished my gap year, uh, that perhaps business could be used in a way to actually help people who have to consider whether or not they can pay to go to high school. Uh, that maybe enterprise could help sort of change people's stories. But, yeah, so that was um, the beautiful uh, country of Vanuatu was my first missions experience. Street preaching and, and all the sort of things you'd, you'd imagine in a missions trip like that. What, what was it that you saw in Vanuatu that sort of linked you to the idea of business as mission or um, business as, as church work? Yeah, I think uh, I think there was a few things going on. One was um, where we stayed, particularly uh, in Vila. There was, I mean, the church was the only property that had access to electricity. Uh, basically, you had to have you know owned it, and so everybody just had had constructed these makeshift houses and didn't have access to to electricity and different things like that. So you see instantly some of the, the the poverty some of the things that people don't have access to um but you i guess you also start to see that you know money does allow people access to these services and rights and and so um i, I suppose i saw the church um just being quite generous in that regard and, and caring and providing for their neighbors and and sort of um doing that 
Uh, I think as well, it's probably the first time I saw an economy that's quite complex in regards to who owns what and what does it mean for national people to be displaced or, or not actually have access. You know, a lot of the businesses are owned by foreign people, whether they be um, Australians or other sort of Westerners that have gone over there or, or whether it was the kind of Asian market that was moving into Vanuatu. And so, again, you see uh, in some sense, uh, you know, beautiful resorts, beautiful um, opportunity to, to do things. And then you see local people who genuinely had to make a decision about whether or not, you know, they would pay for their children to go to high school. Yeah, that huge wealth gap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, um, and I think, you know, when, when money is tied to education, well, how else do you change the trajectory of something without getting education? And if education costs, then we actually need to find a way to fund some of this. We don't magically close those gaps and allow uh, people to all of a sudden be educated and then change the local systems for themselves. So, yeah, I think it was that idea that actually, um, uh, you know, generating income and allowing people to have access to to work, um, the flow-on effect of that is so much greater than we often understand and particularly a lot greater when we live in a place like Australia where actually we have quite a few safety nets that catch us if we don't have the funds. Um, you know, the government will help us get healthcare. The government will help us get an education. Um, and there's just other places where that's not the case. Yeah, I... I've heard a lot of people over the years reflect around the idea of like, we all know money can't buy happiness and we all know money's not the the be all and end all of, you know, things that we work towards. Um, but money allows us to buy a whole bunch of the stuff that do, that really does contribute to our, our thriving and our happiness and, you know. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I think as well, like sort of building on that point, I remember hearing some of the, the crew from UNO previously speak about even if we choose to go and live in poverty, we often still have options. And and part of it has been, you know, the, the finances have actually allowed us to have those options that um, we might be in poverty for a time, uh, but we can often go back and find work or we'll find networks that can actually help us get back up on our feet. And, um, you know, our education in that sense is, is such a gift to us um and yeah i think you're right there's you know if money doesn't buy happiness it um certainly provides opportunity for some of the security and the ability to pivot and do some of the things that we need to when life is hard yeah that's a much better way of putting it than i did (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so from that experience in um vanuatu um that idea of mission and i know that's that's not even a word that necessarily everybody uh particularly likes or thinks about in that term in those terms but how has that your understanding of what mission is grown and changed from that experience in vanuatu is is it any different has it evolved yeah i think um I think it's certainly become um, a lot broader. Uh, is probably what I would what I would say. I mean, one of the one of the tremendous things uh, about Vanuatu, and one of the things that I want to be very careful of um, as a sort of as a Westerner, is um, their acceptance of, of some sense of spiritual realm is just incredible. Uh, and so the stories they tell are just just taken for fact. Like it's just, yep, this is what happened in, in the you know. And so 
um, some of those are, are legacy stories about early sort of um, missionaries and different things like that. Um, and so I don't want to um, th- throw that all out. I just want to, you know, but, but as you settle back into Australia, there's this huge culture shock, particularly when you're a relatively new Christian like I was, this huge culture shock around um, we just don't talk like that. We don't, we don't see God at work in, in the same way. Um, and so uh, in, the, in the same way that, that we don't see what they might consider, you know, um, witchcraft and just all sorts of kind of elements that there's another realm that they are open to. And so I think settling back into Australia, it really was a fair head spin um, to try and get my bearings again on, you know, how the world operates and, and particularly what's happening here in our own um, country of Australia. And so, yeah, I, I sort of continued on with my business degree. And I, I think in hindsight, as you look back, you see some really, you know, key shaping moments. And one of them was um, I remember um, just having a tremendous um, sense of favor. I, I, I don't know a better word than that to use. But um, as, as an introverted redhead um, who's pretty shy and insecure, um, th- these guys just wanted to hang out with me. And, 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 and the uni group were quite like, hey, Scott, you're here, you know, and, um, and really welcoming and, and sort of took me into their circle. And I was just so busy with church world. I was so busy with youth group and and Sundays, you know, your two services and being on the worship team and accountability group, Bible study. Like it was just like my diary was pretty full. And yet this group made space for me and wanted wanted me to sort of hang out with them. And so I remember uh, one key evening where we sort of had three, you know, significant parties like 21st and 18ths and, and different things like that. And it was just overwhelming thinking, man, how are we going to get to all these events in one night? And just the um, what it meant for our university sort of friends um, and for yeah for us to actually get to their uh, to their parties was really significant. And so it really caused for me a, a moment to sort of think, man, like what am I, what am I doing with my time? I spend so much in this in this church bubble and not an awful lot um, getting to know the people that I'm studying with, getting to know the people that live around me, the people that I work with. And so I think that sent me on a whole sort of exploration of, of kind of, uh, yeah, like local mission. What does it actually mean to connect with the people that I live with? What does it mean to figure out, um, how to communicate this idea of God and, and the gospel to to people that I actually live with, not over the seas, not um, in, in different places. And so, yeah, we we spent my wife and I uh, at different times as you know as our relationship progressed, we explored um, different senses of uh, local neighborhood mission, uh, engaging with our neighbors. Um, trying to learn to come alongside people. And so we've spent um, a fair bit of time doing that. And, uh, yeah, kind of through all that journey, I ended up in in ministry. Um, And, yeah, so I think for me, one of the things now is um, one of the things that has certainly shifted is just when I think of mission, I'm not thinking about 18-year-old me in a market in Vanuatu, giving my testimony and hoping people will come to know Jesus in that way. 
I've expanded to a much broader sort of what does human flourishing look like? What does the kingdom of God come in all its fullness look like for us as people, for neighborhoods, for society? And and so I picture, you know, um, verses like Jeremiah 29.7 where it says, you know, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Um, I think of the banquet table in Isaiah 25 where God um, gathers all people for a feast with rich food and well-aged wines and it tells us that death has been swallowed up forever, that he wipes away the tear from all faces, take away our disgrace. And, it, and it's, this, it's this communal picture um, of, of kind of societies, of, of neighbourhoods, of communities um, discovering and embracing and being welcomed to the kingdom of God at play. Um, and yeah, and I think for me, that's where, uh, again, some of this idea of, of opportunity and business and, and the well-being of others kind of all becomes entangled in this, in this idea of mission. Backtracking a little bit in your story, um, you mentioned that music has been a really big part of your life. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how that's been part of and how that's interacted with your faith and uh, mission and business degree and everything else? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I was um, uh, I was starting to mess around. I, I have done some further study around the area of vocation and uh, I've got some themes I want to explore and I was kind of messing around writing the the start of my um, I don't know what might be the intro to my book on vocation, and I was reflecting on that idea of, of music. Um, that you know, deep down, there is a sense that that I am a musician first, um, in in the sense that I'm like the emotion of music has always driven me. Um, I feel like I have been formed by more musicians and lyricists than I have pastors and preachers and that could be really bad that might be why my uh, my theology is the way it is but i have <laughs> but i have found in artists i've found in artists um words and imagery and um music and and um just things that have been able to actually kind of almost articulate the cries of my own soul for me uh and so yeah music has has always kind of shaped me and and I've always sort of found different artists that I've enjoyed that have um, articulated some of my wrestles, um, declared some of the things that I deeply want to believe and hold to, and um, yeah. And so I mean, as a kid, I always um, just played in bands, um, new metal sort of bands, rock and roll sort of bands, um, and yeah, I was I've been lucky to you know tour parts of um, Australia in a couple of different bands, rock bands, and. If I'm honest, it was a metalcore band. I like to call it hardcore. Um, <laughs> there's a distinction for me, but it was yeah. Metalcore. For what it's worth, that it means nothing to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and you know, so like I was, I'm, a, I'm an okay bass player, um, and we uh, we had a, a bit of a falling out with our vocalist at the time around our Christian values as a band, and so we uh, he got the boot, and I stepped in on the mic and figured out how to scream. And uh, so the last project I had, I had the joy of running around and screaming um, the gospel at people's faces. And um, that was an incredibly good time. But, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reimagine what an old man does with their music career now because I'm trying to make that transition. I've got to ask, though, what's, what's the distinction between metalcore and hardcore? Uh, 
Well, partly an image thing. So hardcore guys are tough guys often, you know, mosh and and, um, and then and metal cores, your skinny black jeans and your high high guitar solo kind of uh, things like that. So it's, it's just an attitude kind of thing. We felt like we were being the old school hardcore guys. So. Subcultures have subcultures have subcultures, hey? That's exactly exactly it. We could, we could go for a deep dive here. Don't you worry. Yeah. <laughs> As tempting as it is, I think you just end up talking to yourself because I have nothing to contribute. No, that's fine. Have you heard of this band Mumford and Sons? Where do they sit in the spectrum? Yeah, I, I, yeah. Let's. Uh, well, even that you got you got the no, different no. elements, don't you? So who knows? Yeah, it's true too. Yeah. So back to oh, pun intended. Back to business. Yeah. Um, <laughs> your your business training and your work in sort of that field. Has been a pretty consistent thing. Like you told me when we were when we were catching up, obviously study, and then you know you took on a bunch of the business stuff for your bands, um, a bit of your own um, business with um, Life Threads and uh, some of the other projects that you've been working on. Um, what about now in your your where you're placed in urban life? Um, how does that sort of play into what you're doing? Yeah, so I mean, so Urban Life is a is a pretty unique um, church uh, with their story, and so um, they uh, were a, were a sort of suburban church, local sort of church. They sold up and decided that they wanted to be embedded in the community about fifteen years ago, and so they've run in the past like a, a community cafe, some sort of social enterprises. They've got some impact investments and different things like that, and so. Um, they were looking for a business manager to come on board and uh, I entered that role with them, um, which was much more sort of just your church budgeting kind of stuff. Uh, and then that shifted uh, kind of at the end of last year, start of this year into what we've termed an enterprise manager, um, which is, um, yeah, that, that sense of the, the enterprise of, of the church and the kind of the business side of it, the tax, the um, budgeting, uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, we also employed a, f- a few other roles around community engagement and justice and generations. And so, yeah, just kind of all the procedures and process for that um, gets to be some of my wheelhouse. Um, and then, yeah, trying to develop um, social enterprises for them that would create employment opportunities for youth at risk, particularly young people that have had an out-of-home care experience. And, uh, yeah, so just based on, as you sort of mentioned, um, I've established um, a couple of brands. Um, Life Threads was a was a fair trade clothing company, and then I, for, for a bit of fun, was also importing uh, men's grooming products uh, into the country for a little while. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just that experience of of launching brands and and getting things up and running. They invited me to come and do the work that I'm doing with Urban Life. Um, yeah, which has also been. Um, getting across our uh, impact investing and, and different funds and, and uses for urban life. So my role currently is a real mixed bag of, of kind of general sort of church governance, church running, facility management, dealing with tenants that use our building, looking at other opportunities that we can have there. Um, yeah, looking at social enterprises and what we can establish. And then, yeah, just, you know, taking care of our funds. And it's an incredibly... Um, it's an incredibly exciting role. It's a real, um, you know, like as we sort of said before, like my, my whole world is is often a fair jumble and mix of different things. And I think part of that's, although it feels unintentional, is by design I actually need 
multiple stimuli and you know if i'm you know I'm, I'm you know playing in bands and studying this and looking at that and um you know and so yeah i, I think for me this has been a pretty ideal role um around that and deep down really um marries that that idea that hey maybe business is a part of how we bring the kingdom of god to our communities is is part of the way that we actually bring um the flourishing that we need to see in our communities um yeah so that's that's my role at the moment can you drill down more into that that relationship between business and the kingdom because like to be to be perfectly honest, I'm always um, I'm always skeptical of the the idea of wealth and faith alongside one another. Like I think we see a fairly consistent picture across the um, across the Bible. God is on the side of the poor. God is on the side of um, people who have been excluded and um, don't have you know the power and influence that wealth and money um, kind of bring. And you know, yeah, you know, Jesus is your poor itinerant preacher wandering around without a home um and is you know him and his 12 closest mates who have all up and left their jobs um you know what's what's the relationship then with business and how does that work alongside faith and mission yeah absolutely so i think i think when we look at when we look at scripture when we look at that idea of of wealth and and sort of faith what we've tended to do um is separate them in, in that sort of way. And and probably, and if I'm honest, I think almost even though we've separated them, our, our concept of wealth has still been the same wealth accumulation of the world in the sense of, you know, we have people that are kind of being missionaries or, or church workers or whatever that don't have any funding. And then so we need kind of the really rich Christian guy to actually think, oh, yeah, the work you're doing is worthwhile, I'll... You know, from my excess, I will contribute, as a as opposed to uh, this idea that actually maybe it's not so much about wealth accumulation, but it's about generation and actually sharing the wealth. And so, moving from that idea of um, lack um, into an idea of excess, that you know, and I, and I think as well, if I, I think we see that even in the Old Testament, when when God is dividing the land up for the tribes, the Levites are given possession of land to actually use for their well-being. You know, it gets exploited, but I think we actually see a system of of shared provisions and uh, this idea that our, you know, like the Jeremiah passage, that our well-being is tied up with one another's, our welfare is tied up with one another's. And so when, when one uh, aspect of our society isn't... Um, provided access to the services that it needs when it doesn't have the opportunity for education and things like that we've we've managed to convince ourselves that that we're okay with that uh, as opposed to the idea that actually somehow my welfare is not being fulfilled because this group of people are being denied access to their welfare and so i think um yeah i, I think for us that's that's been a big kind of thing about how do we actually um yeah, and make sure that when we talk about wealth, when we talk about business, when we're talking about ideas, that that we actually it, it's about um, the the spread of that, the share of that, people actually getting um, what should be theirs. It's not about 
It's, it's not the traditional business model where somebody at the end of the line kind of has to lose out to, for us to make you know the maximum profit, but it's actually trying to find ways to to offer something of value in a way that um, actually respects the processes to get there. Um, and I think as well, um, you know, one of the things that Urban Life um, have articulated really well that, that I've sort of loved um, coming on board is that idea of um, with our impact investing and, and the other activities that we do, but that we would actually want our money to behave uh, or have the same sort of ethics or values or contribute the same sort of impact that we would want our own lives to have. And I think there's been times where we've actually pulled those apart a little bit. And if we've done some dodgy business deals, but my tithe to the church increases because of it, well, then it's fine. You know, like I'm a good upstanding Christian businessman as opposed to, no, 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 like we need to make money in ways that are ethical so that we can contribute um, appropriately. So one of the phrases that I've heard a lot around, you know, this whole business's mission uh, sort of field is the idea of social enterprise. Can you tell us a bit about what that means? Yeah, for sure. So there's not a um, universally sort of agreed upon definition for social enterprise, but the the general idea is that um, these are uh, organizations that uh, use market forces or uh, are for revenue companies that actually are trying to make a profit to then address some social causes or social impact. So it could be environmental causes. It could be about delivering a service that otherwise uh, isn't available in those areas or isn't cost effective in those areas, um, creating employment and training uh, opportunities for people of disadvantage or people in need. Um, and so I suppose, yeah, part of what it needs to be is actually it needs to be sustainable in some sort of way that it actually needs to be generating income um, and and being able to sort of fuel itself that it's not just sort of charity activity that seeks to give out that actually is using the market sort of forces to generate income and, and do the work that it wants to do uh, and so you know like as I sort of mentioned there's different ways organizations can do that so you can just be raising revenue and, and making money and then giving to the cause that you want to see changed in a sense or you could be fueling some of your work through a through a cafe that makes money uh, or the business activity that you are doing is helping to achieve those goals so the business activity is employing people to train them or allowing those people to have it so um, yeah it's, it's it's been a booming sort of uh, segment of the industry and a lot of sort of uh, pushes from government to help develop social enterprises has been happening in the last few years, which has made it a very exciting space. So what is impact investing? You've mentioned that a few times, um, talking about particularly some of the stuff that Urban Life's involved in. Give us the rundown. Yeah, yeah. So impact investing, I mean, there's a whole um, whole heap of different ways that that can uh, sort of take shape in regards to um, you, you can still do it through um, viable sort of options on the stock market in regards to uh, options that are trying to create social good and are businesses that are running towards that. And so um, Urban Life has a, has a spread of investments that we manage, some sort of defensive income where we still look for good social brands that we can um, back and, and be shareholders in. Um, and then it's also looking at other opportunities that aren't so... Uh, secure aren't so safe to be uh, to be fair um, 
and and actually saying, hey, if if we give money to this organisation that's looking to do this work, then um, then we you know allow the the following sort of social impacts to happen. So. Uh, Urban Life uh, has been involved with a, um, a coffee plantation in Vanuatu. We've been involved in a, in a uh, well, are involved, sorry, and are involved with a, with a coconut farm over there. And, you know, we're able to, to lend them money in different loans and different investment sort of structures that banks wouldn't necessarily um, be inclined to lend to, maybe because of the risk, maybe because they don't understand the business model. Um, and what it means is that the money that we give to these organisations to run um, actually don't just help a viable business option happen, but they actually then have a flow on impact uh, to the families of the people that these businesses employ. So with the coffee farmers, they get given a plot of land, they get given the seedlings that they need to start growing coffee, um, they harvest it, but through that, then we're actually also making sure that their children get to go to school. Um, we're able to see kind of a business structure built around that. And so, um, yeah, that, that's some of the kind of more high-risk uh, investments that Urban Life has been involved in. There's also um, social impact bonds. Um, so I know churches across Queensland have, have some things going on um, and there's a few other kind of things even here in, in Australia where, um, where as investors we purchase sort of stocks in, into helping housing developments and youth programs that the government is trying to change outcomes for young people and we're kind of helping provide the infrastructure for that and at the end of the program we'll get the the money back um and so yeah it's just a way of actually sort of saying hey rather than our money sitting in a bank getting interest rather than our money kind of just being in a nest egg somewhere um, we could actually use this money and and often um, we're still seeing some good returns on it um but we're able to actually say while our money is getting us these returns, we're seeing businesses um, actually change, um, you know, whether it's just a, a much more clean um, um, sort of health and beauty product brand, even if that's kind of part of it. If they're changing the industry in regards to that, um, we're helping some, um, you know, we, we have shares in some medical companies that are changing the game in, in regards to, to client care and um, infection control and stuff like that. I mean, that's a wonderful outcome. Why would we not want that? And our money is actually helping to do that. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of uh, a, a rough overshot of how some of the impact mm. investing works. Um, yeah, it, look, it sounds like it's the kind of thing that re- is really doing a really good job of using the systems and the things that are in place to yeah have a really positive impact on the world. But is it something that you need a whole bunch of, of capital, a whole bunch of wealth behind you to be able to get involved in? Is there, you know, how does it scale? Yeah. So it, it is, it's certainly something that is, um, uh, you know, the, the, the entry points into it are, are harder or are higher. Um, in the sense that the cost of actually, you know, assessing the risk and all of this is is quite high. And so uh, Urban Life was quite lucky in the sense that our previous senior minister um, now works with an organisation called the Difference Incubator, TDI, uh, and he's all over this sort of stuff. And so she actually started Urban Life on on the journey and and linked us in with some great organisations that help us do that. Um, And... uh, yeah, and there's just even some entry barriers in in regards to dollars spent and things like that. But um, I actually, you know, Annie and I were speaking the other day, and I uh, we asked this question, and and she reminded me that you know one of the 
um, a, a really easy way actually to start is to think about, you know, if, if we think this kind of impact investing stuff is important, then one of the easiest ways to actually start is just to think about who are we banking with, that our banking is actually in a sense, um, you know, banks make money doing all these trades and all these deals and, and thinking about who they're invested in. So if our banks are ethical banks, if our banks are being responsible with their uh, with how they're making money, then that actually is a part of that, really. We're actually encouraging good business practice there. The second one, which again is quite a large one, really, when you think about it in regards to impact and, and life um, length of the investment is our superannuation. So a lot of super companies are starting to play in this space about actually um, either being more ethical uh, with their investments or leading into and stepping into impact in investing. So again, if, if you're really interested in this but don't have the money required, well, just making sure that your investment uh, of your superannuation is with a company that is going to do this. Um, then again, you can see some of the things we get to see with, oh man, that solar farm up there, we, we're helping that happen or, you know, and that's cool. Like who doesn't want to see, you know, oh, my money still grew and I got to help this uh, this happen. The other thing I think, you know, not so much impact investing, but um, in regards to just using our wealth in ways that we think are um, good ideas and, and helpful in regards to changing the sort of outcome for others is what, what startups do we know? What other companies do we know um, that are doing some sort of, you know, fundraising or even a Kickstarter or different things like that, that if we actually, there are some organizations that are trying to raise funds, uh, particularly in this time to get through the season or just they've got a product that they're trying to launch that um, I actually, I just believe in the outcome enough of what they're trying to achieve that I just kind of want to almost go, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that first item and, and it's not so much about the first item but it's actually just about I would give money to see those outcomes. So why would I not give those monies to a brand to actually try and help them change the way um, things are happening? And I think, you know, there are some companies, uh, we've seen organisations like Outland, uh, Denim get some huge publicity out of um, their ethical sort of standards and they actually get to... I mean, they're being really environmental in, in regards to the way that they manufacture their denim, which is a you know a high waste industry, uh, and they're they're working on developing technology around that. They're employing uh, women overseas that would otherwise not you know be able to get job. Like in a sense, they're doing some of the stuff that we'd love to see charities doing um, in a commercial sort of facing way. And so I kind of think, why would you not find ways to sort of get involved in that sort of stuff if you can? So looking forward uh, over the next little while, sort of what's on the horizon for urban life in this kind of field? Yeah, so we're, um, we're sort of in the, in the thick of spreadsheets at the moment looking at uh, our different sort of uh, some of our investment strategy and, and making sure that's on track for the next sort of little while, particularly as we've changed um, our structure locally. Um, we're digging into a few different business ideas. So we've got a soft launch on a, on a cleaning company that um, currently provides uh, employment for a couple of young guys that have had an out-of-home care experience. And so for us, this has been about, you know, how do we train them? How do we get uh, people into these roles? What sort of supports do we need to put around young people? Uh, so, yeah, we've soft-launched that and we'll be looking to try and um, scale that and, and see what see what we can do in that space. We're continuing to look at different ways that we can use our facility for the good of our community um, and also how we can, again, create some employment opportunities 
through that. So we've been really lucky um, to be able to curate some of the space behind us. Um, we have this amazing courtyard that was uh, established by Eastland and, and we kind of have run some gigs and events and different things in there. Um, so we're just trying to look at ways that we can maximise uh, the activities that happen in there, uh, in those spaces, but then also what employment opportunities exist for us to create work for people. Um, and then one, you know, exciting sort of thing where we're uh, in conversation with a with a wonderful organisation out of Colombia, uh, and absolutely nothing may come of this, but um, either way, they deserve a plug. Um, the Cacao Hunters or uh, Cacao de Colombia, um, which is just um, chocolate of Colombia, they um, they have this wonderful business model where they're actually um, as as the native people are able to retake and reclaim some of the land uh, that was originally theirs uh, and get their knowledge around some of the cacao plants and and how you know we should be farming this thing. They're finding uh, chocolate in some amazing places that they're actually then um, making sure they pay a decent price for it. Um, so yeah, we've we're, we've been in some conversations with them just to see if there's ways what we're doing over here can um, help what they're doing over there, but also um, it's meant to be an you know an exceptional product. So we're waiting to get our hands on some of that and uh, and see if that conversation can happen. So for us, it, it really is uh, we've been incredibly uh, blessed in regards to some of the networks we have and some of the conversations we get to have around. Um, things we we've been a little bit intentional to I suppose around joining in with some other networks like the social enterprise network of Victoria Senvik. There's some great organisations out of that, uh, you know, that have sort of faith origin sort of stories. Green Collect is is one of those. Uh, we've been hanging out with the social enterprise guild out this way with now not yet cafe. They're doing some wonderful stuff, and so um, a social foundry is uh, uh, you know there's just a whole heap of different organizations doing some wonderful stuff and so when you hang in those spaces when you kind of have those conversations there's always uh, little sparks of, of possibility and for us it's, it's always about you know which which ones of those can we leverage to create opportunities for people um, that would actually help change their trajectory and I think you know for us we um because we're so embedded in, in Ringwood and, and doing the things that we do, you know, we, we've got to see firsthand, you know, in our community meal uh, and our winter shelter program and stuff, guys sleeping rough that find employment that the following year are back volunteering uh, to help as opposed to being recipients of the program because we've seen what having income has actually meant for them. And so I think when you get to see some of those results, when you get to hang out with some of the guys that have, seen their life turn around like that or just actually heard some of their stories about why they're in the position they're in kind of fuels that man we've got to be able to do something and uh yeah 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 no, that's that all sounds amazing so for people who might be listening to this uh this episode and this is you know it's really sparking something in them that they're you know feeling excited about the things that you're talking about what would you say to those people who might be interested in, you know, using utilizing business um, for faith and mission. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, thankfully we're in a time where social enterprise has become an industry that government uh, are helping to establish and invest. So there's plenty of resources out there in regards to Senvik and um, 
Swinburne have done some developmental stuff and there's just some wonderful organisations. So you can certainly find some work there. It is hard work. Our current models generally do exploit someone. So either we're ripping the customer off, charging them way more than we should, uh, or we're finding somewhere in the supply chain to charge less for. Uh, and so it is hard work trying to come to to market with a commercially viable product that either um, is changing the industry in regards to who it includes or the services it provides or just raising money for a cause. Um, so be prepared to for that, for that knuckling sort of thing. But um, it's an incredibly exciting sort of thing. And um, I just, for me... I think it starts with some of our privileged position. Um, you know, if, uh, I mentioned earlier, um, Life Threads. That for me, Life Life Threads started as a brand because I realised that all the culture and the music and all the things that I love, I was privileged enough to enjoy because of where I grew up. That had I grown up in a country where the cotton was getting picked for most of the t-shirts I wear, I just wouldn't have had any of those opportunities. And so. Um, I think when we start with that sort of, oh man, so much of the world we get to enjoy is a privileged kind of thing that we get to enjoy and we can use business as a way to sort of change those stories for other people. Um, I think, you need, you know, you really need something that, that fuels that kind of passion to keep going and, and go with the knocks and, and roll with the kind of the punches that happen. But um, yeah, I'd absolutely look into other, the network, other networks that are available um, and just so many other people are so generous with their time that there's sort of no dumb questions and everyone's up for that. So find some of those networks, find those people and and get involved. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, Scott, it's been fantastic catching up with you and uh, chatting about all this. Um, if people are interested in connecting with you outside the podcast, where can they find you? Where can they find Urban Life? Yeah, Urban Life uh, is probably best just, I mean, we're, you know, the website's there, but we're pretty much social media is actually where we're much more active. So just uh, Urban Life is most of the sort of tags uh, or Urban Life community generally. Um, and then, yeah, I'm, again, Scott McGeehan. There's not too many uh, people with a, with a surname <laughs> like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm in all those spots as well. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, mate. It's been, yeah, really awesome. Privilege, Mitch. Enjoyed this conversation. Thanks heaps. Thanks heaps to Scott for joining us on Mission Unplugged. If you want to find out more about Urban Life and the work that they do, you can find their website at urbanlife.org.au or you can find them on Facebook at Urban Life or Instagram at urbanlife.community. If you're interested in finding out more about the kind of impact investing that Scott and I talk about in this episode or if you're interested in hearing Scott's hardcore music, there are links in the show notes. We'd like to say a huge thank you to everyone who participated in this year's Safe Water September Challenge. Together, we've raised over $170,000, which will help give safe water through our partners in Zimbabwe and Vanuatu. So thank you so much for getting involved and for all your hard work, taking the challenge, getting your friends and family involved and for helping make a huge difference. Thanks for listening to Mission Unplugged, a podcast by Embody. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review us so more people can find us and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Join in the conversation right now on our Discord server at embody.org.au forward slash discord. Embody is a national community of young people passionate about mission locally, nationally and globally. 
You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at EmbodyAU and visit our website at embody.org.au. All the links are in the show notes. Embody is part of the Global Mission Partners family. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay our respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. Music in the show is by Josh Woodward. We'll catch you next time and thanks for listening to Mission Unplugged.